like to welcome to the podcast today, Maya Osterman. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. I love it when I do that. (laughs) Uh, Maya has been an applied theater practitioner for the past 10 years. She loves exploring how the power of theater and education can facilitate transformation. Upon receiving her BFA in theater performance from the University of Colorado, she wrote and toured a one-woman show for sale based on the true stories of sex trafficking survivors across America. She then created the Activism Theater Ensemble, a company of high school and college students performing an educational outreach prevention play for Sexual Assault Victim Advocacy Center. She has since founded her, found her home as a pro- program manager for Mirror Image Arts, a Denver-based theater nonprofit where she creates and facilitates curriculum for youth to explore and heighten their social-emotional skills. All these words. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> My reading outline of skills are not very good, so I'm getting better. She is also the founder of Restorative Theater, a program under Mirror Image Arts working with incarcerated youth. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Like, I have just so many questions. Like, the way that <laughs> the way that you work with underprivileged youth is just mind-boggling to me, and I just have so many questions about that. So, first question is always the same, though. What was your first job? Ooh, my very first very job. First. Uh, I was probably, I think I was 13. Um, I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me, mm-hmm. so yeah, he was about three or four. And he was at like a summer preschool at our synagogue in Florida Mm -hmm. and um, worked there and literally followed him (laughs) through camps, through Jewish camps, all the way until I was 21. That's really cool. Yeah. So camp counseling? Uh, Always. Well, in the beginning it was helping, but then it was always a theater specialist. I was going to ask you, so my next question is, how'd you get into theater? Yeah, so that, I was what they'd call a late bloomer for theater. Like, most theater kids, they're, like, five in mm-hmm. doing theater. I was playing soccer and softball and all of that stuff, and um, I had a friend who had done it, and I kind of always knew it was eventually what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know how you started that. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, my Planned Parenthood had a theater company for high school students where we became educators around AIDS, HIV awareness, and sex education. Mm-hmm. And then we would go to high schools and middle schools and perform a play and then do a facilitated talkback. So that was my start to theater was this style of theater, although I didn't know mm-hmm. I could like have a profession in it and it was going to be what I did for forever. But th- my first experience was in, in this style of theater. Okay, so is the style of theater the applied theater? Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you explain what that is yeah. for us non-theater yeah. people? So applied theater is really an umbrella term for lots of styles of theater that is just going into non-traditional spaces mm-hmm. to use theater as a technique to engage in a deeper conversation around a topic. So it's whether it's for education or... Yeah, social justice issues, um, something impacting a community, Mm -hmm. kind of whatever it is. It's the idea that you can bring theater into any space and that really anyone uh, can be an actor. It's just how a space is facilitated to kind of bring that out in someone. Awesome. So it's like like professional role playing. Yeah, a little bit. That's really cool. Yeah. So after you um, after you graduated, you traveled as a one woman show. Yeah. Like what prompted that? How, like what was that experience yeah. like? Oh man, this is one of those where every story is like, well, how much time do you have? So <laughs> forever, we have all day. You just go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, so the story behind that there there is a bit of a story. Um, 
I graduated from college, mm-hmm. and I actually lived in Israel for a while, mm-hmm. and then snowboarded in Europe with a friend. Sweet. And I dislocated my shoulder, had to come home and have surgery, um, and was just super bummed, depressed, totally just had nothing to do, was pretty lost. Um, and I'd had a professor in college who had said to me once um, that as an actor, if the work isn't out there, what's beautiful is that you can make it. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of being That's an artist. Awesome. Um, and I was sitting uh, with my, he was my boyfriend at the time, my husband now at his house in Colorado, and I was like, what? Like, what am I going to do? And my senior year, kind of the BFA project was to create a play that my group, we did around sex trafficking uh, around, like, the world, mm-hmm. based in, focused on youth. Mm-hmm. And I'm a human who has a slightly obsessive personality. Um, and once I'd started learning about that mm-hmm. world, I became pretty into it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, okay, well, this is something that I could do. And I started researching, and then I started finding nonprofits to talk to, and I just kind of kept going, and by the end, I'd written a one-woman show talking to FBI task force agents and survivors and nonprofits and kind of all across the world, and my husband and I really wanted to travel, and so we kind of made it a dual thing. We got in an RV and (laughs) traveled across the U.S. for about a year, and all along the way, I would do more interviews and keep writing and then perform and edit, and I just kind of did that through the U.S. That is amazing. Yeah. That's, so, so, so for you, you have to go, you have to find people to, you know, do the one woman show for. Yeah. And that is really cool. Yeah. So you did that for a year. I did that for a year. And um, then. Performed mainly at universities. So okay. there's, it's really cool. At a lot of universities, there are different organizations or clubs that are focused specifically on sex trafficking awareness. Okay. Um, or there's conferences that I would go to mm-hmm. and I'd kind of pop around and yeah you're like I'm just gonna go do the thing that is so (laughs) awesome so then um tell us about your project with activism theater ensemble so that was kind of your next project yeah so then we settled in Fort Collins Mm -hmm. my husband and I were farming we had an organic vegetable farm that's cool and my husband was a horticulturalist at the time and so we were doing that and then I found SAVA the sexual assault victim advocacy center in Fort Collins Mm -hmm. and they had a setup that was pretty similar to Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. um and they were looking for someone to kind of take over and turn it into a little bit more of a full program versus at that time they had had a play that someone had written. It was pretty outdated and they wanted to also be generating new material, uh, which is also a huge part of applied theater. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is what you call devised. So you're making it up as you go. Mm -hmm. Um, And took over and started this ensemble with high school and college students. And we were rehearsing guess we rehearsed every month Mm -hmm. and we were writing new content um, and then we were touring it across Colorado we'd get into a 15 person van and be driving like through the mountains all over Mm -hmm. uh, and performed this play with all these different vignettes that focused on gender role socialization and Mm -hmm. sexual assault that's really cool yeah so all of your work has been um actually I'm just gonna ask that later but so tell us about your current position at Mirror Image Arts. Yeah. Um, so I found Mirror Image Arts was the greatest thing I could have found. I found this organization about four years ago. Mm-hmm. I had friends 
who'd been a part of um, another company I was with, the Interactive Theater Project, which is now Affinity Arts Consulting. Mm -hmm. They had been on the CU campus, and I had found them in college my freshman year, and that was also an organization that um, has truly shaped me. My two mentors, Trent and Rebecca, are from ITP Mm -hmm. um, and are just amazing individuals who really taught me a lot of what I do and know. And a couple of the other actors had come into this organization. I'd mm-hmm. seen them on Facebook. I had moved back. My husband and I lived in North Carolina for a bit. We moved back. We do a lot of traveling. <laughs> you do. You travel I live all over the place. We're settled now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember on Facebook seeing someone's post about this company, and I looked it up. And I just remember um, saying, I'm going to work for this company one day. I don't know how. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And I think maybe six or seven months later, they posted that they were looking for a contract facilitator, auditioned, Mm -hmm. got it, uh, was doing lots of many jobs as many actors do at one time Mm -hmm. for a long period. (laughs) Oh, there are every every art person I know. They've got like five or six things in the fire. Yep. Uh, During that time was starting restorative theater and then just kind of kept moving up and talking about how much I believed in the company and mm-hmm. what the organization was about. Um, and Andrea Raybold, our executive director, who you also need to get on this Absolutely. podcast. We have to talk about it after. <laughs> um, you know, she'd asked me, like, what's my vision? Mm-hmm. Where do I see myself? And I, you know, had said, well, program director. I'm going to be with you. I'm going <laughs> to hang out with you. Um, and so, yeah, I've just kind of slowly moved up and now been here for four years. That's awesome. So what does, um, so talk to me a little bit about what Mirror Image Arts does. Yeah, we do a lot. Yes, you that do. is also hard to explain <laughs> in a short amount of time. That's okay. Um, <laughs> We're here. But the main kind of umbrella is that we use theater as a tool to explore social emotional well-being of youth. Okay. And we do that in four different areas. We have four types of programming. So we have the Your Voice series, which we do in and out of school. We work with 4th through 12th grade. We have a curriculum that we come in with facilitators and professional teaching artists. It culminates in a play that the youth get to step in and try out different choices. And it's all used through a bullying prevention lens. Okay. Then we have, um, it's called It Starts With Us, Mm -hmm. which is our kind of community engagement program where we go into residency in a rec center. We're at the Swansea Rec Center right now Mm -hmm. uh, for a five to six month period where we also bring in a professional playwright and director and artists and we devise, we create an original piece of theater with the youth of that neighborhood, basically sharing out to the community the stories that they want to tell about who they are uh, and what their neighborhood means to them. And then it culminates with a staged reading using professional artists and the youth together. Then we have, it's called Rehearsal for Reality, which is our professional development program. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, (laughs) do we pause and like do a little (laughs) dance for it? The phone was on. (laughs) We missed one of the phones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where that one's our kind of newer one, where we're starting to work with the adults that work with youth Mm -hmm. around social emotional well-being and what does that look like and what is classroom management and positive youth development and trauma-informed care and kind of all the buzzwords of evidence-based practices Mm -hmm. that we truly believe in. And then the final program is restorative theater, which is using theater 
um, in juvenile detention centers and most recently now starting as a reentry program. Yay! Okay, so, so I totally want to talk about that. So that is yes, your pet project. That so is my pet project. Just restorative theater is your thing. So tell us a little bit. So you guys work with incarcerated youth. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about that program and then yeah. tell us about where it's going because I'm so excited because the last time we, we talked to you we were like, I'm trying to get this thing like <laughs> off the ground and talk to the right people and do the things. So I'm really yeah. excited for you and I can't wait to hear about, you know, how it's growing and what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So restorative theater is my baby. Um, it's, I guess, six, six years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, started it in North Carolina when I was living there. It was very much connected to for sale and the sex trafficking work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd shared with you, it was, I really enjoyed the work um, working with survivors and it was really really hard to be a part of the aftermath Mm -hmm. versus just getting a better understanding of how and why this is happening in Mm -hmm. our world and how humanity gets morphed in a way that people are able to dehumanize Mm -hmm. was just really interesting to me and I have a fascination with the concept of choice Mm -hmm. and what it means and how it shows up in people's lives Mm -hmm. and it's just a really heavy word that gets used in very different ways that is just very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so somehow in a roundabout way, I wanted to work with men mm-hmm. um, because predominantly in the world of sex trafficking, buyers and sellers are men mm-hmm. and didn't really understand how I could do that except for having read a couple of books and seen some things of, well, I do know that some of them existed prison Mm -hmm. and I'm really interested to understand how does someone get to that point um but I've always been more interested in youth I guess I can thank my little brother for that (laughs) uh he was kind of all the chem counseling yeah he was the start of me just wanting to work with youth uh and so I moved to North Carolina and just started researching where juvenile detention centers were there was one 45 minutes outside of Durham and Mm -hmm. a very lovely town called Butner, North Carolina. Butner. Butner. It literally held an adult prison and a youth prison in a very, very small town. Mm-hmm. And just started reaching out and found the chaplain there, this amazing woman, Sandra, who she had a daughter who had been in theater. Mm-hmm. And I find that the moment I find someone who has some sort of connection to theater, it's all over because they get it. They <laughs> yeah. just understand the the power, the transformative mm-hmm. power of this art tool. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, come hang out with us. Let's just like, I don't know what you're doing, but sure. And I was like, great, because I have no idea what I'm doing either. But I think there could be something there. Mm-hmm. So it was about a year and a half. I went every week, had a group of boys that shifted. Um, but a majority of them were there the whole time. Uh, it was a very heavily gang-populated space, which uh, we had two opposing gangs, which was interesting. And um, fascinating. Just I, and at that point, at that point, I really didn't even know what applied theater like truly was. And mm-hmm. um, and I was doing everything, so I had a traditional theater background. So I was going in and trying to do scene work and monologues and different things like that, and it just wasn't landing in the same way and so I started moving into improvisation and I started to build more of the skills that I'd gotten through um, the interactive theater project mm-hmm. more around like how to use theater to talk about identity and privilege and power mm-hmm. and how do you take ownership of your own narrative just trying to use it 
and more of, of that style. And that's what really worked. Um, and I'll share this story because it's, and I might cry because I've never okay. said it without it. Um, but it was, it was the moment that I knew mm-hmm. that this was it. Uh, I had a, a group of boys that were always interested in what I was doing. And I had talked about, I think I had missed one group because I was performing for sale mm-hmm. at uh, UNC. Mm-hmm. And that was the night they needed to do it. And they were like, what, what is it? What is it? They kept pestering me. And so finally I said, well, do you want me to perform part of the play for mm-hmm. you all to see? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and I was terrified because I was like, I don't know what these boys have done here. Like, mm-hmm. at that point, I really had no full understanding of the system and mm-hmm. just all of it. And, you know, was worried about me talking about sex trafficking, just all of it. So I prepped it and explained mm-hmm. what I would be doing. And I performed two of the monologues. And they were... They were silent, and they were so invested, and they were so intrigued, and they started calling out uh, the different techniques that they could tell Mm. that I had used, that I'd been teaching them, which was just super cool to see. And then then they started asking me questions about sex trafficking in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the questions one of them asked was, well, why don't these girls just go to the police? And I looked back to myself, well, why do you think they don't go to the police? Mm -hmm. And with that, their responses were very evident that it was the exact reasons when they were younger, they had not gone Mm -hmm. to the police. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it has this beautiful power of no matter what, theater can start from far away and feel really safe. Mm -hmm. And you can use it as a tool to engage and explore what's happening for you, but with enough separation that it doesn't feel overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so they kept asking me questions and they started what, what we call is hot seating in theater of the oppressed, where a character stays in role and the audience just asks the characters questions and you're just improvising and answering as you go. Mm -hmm. And they were super into that idea. So, uh, we started pulling them up and they were playing like character, they were playing staff members (laughs) from the, from this units. Mm -hmm. And, and then one kid got up and he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. And he sits up there and they start asking questions and he says uh, he's a prisoner, that he's in jail. Um, and they ask, what he do? And mm-hmm. he said, I was pimping. Mm-hmm. They were like, what happened? And he goes in to share this story about how um, he lived at home with his brother and his mom. Mm-hmm. And his mom was addicted to drugs. Dad was gone. And he was hungry and tired and his little brother was hungry and tired and um and he needed to do something he didn't know what but he needed to do something and his mom would have men come into the home into her room they'd have sex she'd trade sex for drugs Mm -hmm. and it was just a a loop Mm -hmm. and one day he just decided to stand in front of the door so that he could take the money from this guy Mm -hmm. to be able to give to get food for him and his brother and it worked and he just kept doing it. And before he knew it, he was, in a sense, pimping out his mom mm-hmm. for money, for food. And he shared that the moment he could separate his mother from being his mom mm-hmm. was the moment that he could do that with another person. And that was the start of his cycle of pimping. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards, the chaplain shared that that was the first time that this youth had actually ever shared his story. Oh, wow. 
and that it was his story. Um, that they had some written documentation, but that he'd never been comfortable sharing what had happened to him. And just watching his physical transformation of being able to own his story was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Just th- like just through a theater technique. Yeah. Like just it finally gave him the freedom to... Yeah. Yeah, his whole physicality shifted, his tone changed, and his authenticity and vulnerability opened up a space that then the other youth were like, all right, I'm next. Yeah, I want to tell my story. Yeah, like, let's keep going. And so that was the moment that I was like, there it is. this is it. This is, not only that, but it was the moment that I fully understood just that we don't know people's full story. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy and quick to label someone, to put someone in a box. But at the end of the day, everyone was a youth at one point. Like everyone had a child, everyone had a mother, everyone mm-hmm. had to grow up. And when I came to Colorado, um, a lot of the youth I work with are sex offenders. Um, and to hear and learn their stories that most, if not all, but most, were themselves victims mm-hmm. of a sex offense at one point. And so what is that saying about our world and our society when it is a cycle that we are refusing to break or be a part of or feel comfortable talking about and instead we just keep locking people up? Mm-hmm. It's never going to change anything. Um, and that for me was another pinpoint of this is why you do the work. Like this is what matters. And if we can get them at youth and get, you know, break the cycle somehow, or at least, like, have people, you know, have them, like, tell their story, because there's the healing in the story, right? Yeah. Then then you're really reaching, you know, potentially breaking that cycle for them. That's the hope. That's 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 the goal. crazy. That's the goal. So, so yeah, that was about six years ago, and then I I moved back to Colorado, and, um, wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I was talking to a friend and she was like, well, have you looked into how the system works in Colorado? And again, I just got on Google and started searching and found the Division of Youth Corrections, Mm. which is technically called now the Division of Youth Systems, Mm. and just started emailing and saying like, I want to do this theater thing. How do I do that? And I have now learned that I'm doing it in a very different way than anyone else in the country. but I had no idea, and through the state, they had said, well, you can become a network provider for the state of Colorado, mm-hmm. which then gives you access to go in and do programming um, at any facility. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so easy. How do I do this? Great. I'm going to go through all the paperwork and, and everything. And it was about, like, an eight-month process, and then I got in, but then it turns out that that just means you're in a system. You still have to do everything. Mm-hmm. So it took me about two years to finally get into a facility, um, which is Lookout Mountain Mm -hmm. in Golden. Mm -hmm. And then um, have been running programming there for the past four years now, about. Awesome. So the program program is just now expanding though, right? Yes. tell us about that. Yes. So it's really exciting. We've, um, one of the big things we did was we confirmed year-round programming at mm-hmm. Lookout. So we have, Amazing. like, programming scheduled for the next two years That's awesome. There. That's one of the bigger ones, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, it holds um, 
all men uh, or boys, um, typically between the ages of 15 and 21, right. who hold the highest offenses in Colorado. Um, and so we do an eight-week improvisation class. Then we do a 12-week uh, staged reading so we'll take some sort of play and put it somewhat on its feet. And then we do a 12-week program that's devising, where they create an original piece of theater. Right now, we're currently in a devising session where we have a performance coming up in, like, two weeks. You're so excited. <laughs> okay. oh, I love it. Um, and then we just very, very recently, within the last two weeks, went back to the state and got approval for what I'm calling phase one of the reentry program, where youth who have been a part of restorative theater, once they get out, they can now come and be a part of our ensemble rehearsals for our Your Voice series. So we do every other month rehearsals with our professional actors. Mm -hmm. They will be able to come be a part of that. We're going to be able to take them to see professional plays and dances and all kinds of different professional art mm -hmm. experiences in Denver. That's awesome. Um, and kind of do one-on-one -on -one sessions to prep them for goals and setting intentions for when they come into the rehearsal space. So that's so bringing super them exciting. back in, you know, to help yes. facilitate and all. Yeah, that. that is the goal, and that was a super organic experience where one of my youth, uh, they asked me to be part of his parole team, and right before the parole hearing, his client manager was like, "So what?" you do something, you do stuff outside of Lookout. Can, can Enrique keep hanging out with you? Um, and I said, sure. I don't know what that looks like yet, but yes. Um, and I have a ton of youth who are in who just keep saying, when we get out, we get to keep doing Coming theater with you, right? That. Yeah. Um, and so that, I mean, I guess in the back of my mind, I had always envisioned it, but just hearing that and, and watching their journey when they get out is so hard mm -hmm. um especially as a sex offender mm -hmm. um it's just as a youth it's very hard to find work it's very hard to find housing mm -hmm. it's very hard to find a community so just trying to build that community to give them um a legitimate second chance it's amazing um so you have always worked with you know really heavy either social issues mm -hmm. or disadvantaged youth and like how like what keeps you positive and moving like I'm like <laughs> sad right now <laughs> like how do yeah. you, you know how do you how do you move forward and how do you stay so amazingly positive yeah that's a great question um my husband will tell you that I'm not always like this <laughs> well that's okay <laughs> I definitely get sad um but for me it it is the moments of magic um I think it's it's the little things that add up to make it so great. I think about one of my students. He's uh, at Lookout for another two years. He will be there for a total of five years. And, um, right, can you imagine going in at 14 and 15 and coming out when you're 19 or 20? You're a very different person. That's a whole lot of <sighs> a growth. Lot, a lot of growth and change that you yeah. don't really get to witness. Mm -hmm. Um and so we've also kind of started a mentoring program inside where we're picking a couple youth who were training to become facilitators and directors in this space to That's give awesome. them more ownership and so that they have a goal to reach so it's not just participation. Um, and so one of our youth, he has in the process and um, he's learning how to lead the warm-ups. 
And it's something so simple, but one of the things that we do is you roll all the way down and then you slowly take 10 beats to come up vertebrae by, by mm-hmm. vertebrae until you're in a full stop. And I snap the beats when I do it. And so like he started leading it and he does that. You know, like he just does the claps. And afterwards he gets so proud of himself. And I so think good. it's those moments of watching the light come back into their mm-hmm. eyes. Giving them some kind of purpose. Yeah, they get so excited. I think that's that's the other part of the world and why, especially for me, youth, it just makes it that much more important is, for sure, some of these boys have done horrible things. Mm-hmm. And they still have 60 years left of their life. Right. And to watch their transformation from the first time they come into group where you can see that they've clearly are in a system of dehumanization and shame. Mm -hmm. The amount of shame that these youth hold, their inability to make eye contact. I mean, that is the biggest one. They, it's, they live in a place down and inside. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be able to watch that transformation of them finding their confidence mm-hmm. and being able to reown who they are, I really want to believe and hope that people can change, that people do have the power and the control and the choice to, to shift whatever they need to to make them happy and positive and move through this world in a way that feels good. And to get to see those moments um, gives me so much hope. And so that, yeah, I mean, I could talk about those li- those little <laughs> moments are just like. That's awesome. Yeah, they're just everything. I love it. I love it so much. So what have um, been some of your biggest obstacles in reaching your these populations with your projects? <sighs> the fact that they're youth. <laughs> um being underage, mm-hmm. rightfully so, mm-hmm. creates a whole different system of bureaucracy and policy. Um, it's so much harder. There's just um, to even get into the space to be able to document it in any way. The documentation you have to do to also cover your back and make sure that you're being safe. There's just so many components of uh, being an adult, working with youth, being in an organization, working with youth in a system that is uh, just really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination of that um, and where when I do get frustrated and don't mm-hmm. have as much hope is um, it's unfortunately a system that breaks people. Mm-hmm. Most of the staff... I have watched when they first get there Mm -hmm. and they're passionate and energized and believe in the work. Mm -hmm. And within a six month period, I would say is about the average, you've just watched as the entire system has just torn them down. Um, And that's where I'm also so thankful that Miramage Arts is an organization that really does practice what they preach. Um, A lot of my sanity comes from the self-care work that I do, and mm-hmm. um, my spirituality. Like, there's a lot of, of pieces that my organization has given me the space and time to refill and mm-hmm. feel whole, um, and that does not exist uh, 
in most spaces, not just the juvenile detention centers, but all the spaces we work at are in an out-of-school program. Most of it is with Project 8 housing. We're, it, we're not in a lot of the neighborhoods where there's um, privilege mm-hmm. and funding and support. And you watch all these individuals who want to, to do good and help, um, and they just don't have the capacity to stay with it. Yeah, because they just get sucked dry. Yeah, it's really hard work. I'm just amazed by you. Just amazed. Um, okay, so before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Mm, that's a good question. I guess the easiest way would be through our Mirror Image Arts website, okay, which cool. is org. That's awesome. And we link everything in the description box. But, um, but yeah, I'm in the staff link. You can email me there. Cool. I do have a Facebook that's connected to work. Awesome. You know. Um, so if you could tell people one thing about how theater can transform people, what would you say? <sighs> one thing. One thing. Just give me one. Or two. Whatever. Yeah. There's no rules here. Right? <laughs> All right, I just make sure it's... This will be the one that I think about on the whole drive home. <laughs> I'm going to call you later. That's okay. you like, oh, I thought about this. That's okay. We can re-record you. And just um, I mean, I think for me, it's this concept that theater, theater is an expression of humanity mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. It tells the stories of who we were, what we've been through, and it also foreshadows who we can become in a way that is both spiritual and enlightening and artistic. Um, and if you're, it can be, a, I know it can be a terrifying art form to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you open your heart to it, the options are endless. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maya. Yeah. Thank you. you. I really appreciate (laughs) you taking the time to hang with me. Absolutely. (laughs) That was awesome. Oh man. You live a heavy life. (laughs) You are. Wow. I'm going back to my numbers, man. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast to be inspiring, helpful, and entertaining, please like and subscribe. This helps us grow the community and reach more people. If you are interested in learning more about this episode's guest or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. Until next time, be abundant.